for example, your first remark was DMAS had a legal obligation. Forget DMAS. It's the Commonwealth of Virginia that's paying this money, right? Commonwealth volunteered to pay the money. General Assembly got together and said, why don't we pay this money to victims of crime? I think that's great policy, but that's a volunteer. Would your argument still be the same if the grandmother of the victim paid the medical bills? Would the grandmother get the restitution, even though there was no legal obligation for the grandmother to pay? I suppose it depends, Your Honor. I agree that's a much closer case than this one. Welcome to the Supreme Court of Virginia podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ben Glass Law, a personal injury and long-term disability law firm with headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia. Listening to oral arguments is one of the best ways to both learn and stay abreast of the substantive and procedural aspects of practicing law in Virginia. By putting these public domain recordings into the form of a podcast, Ben Glass Law has made it easy for the public to access these recordings. All commentary that is not part of the actual court proceedings is that of the show's sponsor. Commonwealth versus Puckett, Graham K. Bryant, Deputy Solicitor General, M. Jordan Minot, Collins Council, Jason S. Eisner, Abbey's Council. I would just note for the individuals listening to this by video that Justice Senior Justice Millett is sitting for Justice Russell. Go ahead. Good morning, Mr. Chief Justice. May it please the court. I'm Jordan Minot. I'm joined by Graham Bryant, who has migrated over to this table this morning. I would like to reserve three minutes for rebuttal, please. All right. Larry Puckett brutally stabbed Justin Hawks and was convicted for that offense of malicious wounding. As part of sentencing, the circuit court ordered that Mr. Puckett make restitution to the Department of Medical Services, or DMAS, for life-saving medical treatment that was rendered to save Mr. Hawks' life. The circuit court's imposition of restitution was correct. Code section 19.2-305.1b requires that a court order restitution when there are, quote, any medical expenses that are, quote, incurred by the victim as a result of a crime. Here, the circuit court was correct that DMAS was a victim of Puckett's crime by the plain meaning of the term victim. But even if the circuit court was incorrect that DMAS was a victim of Puckett's crime, restitution would still be due under 305.1b because a victim of Puckett's crime incurred medical expenses that DMAS then paid. I'll begin with why the circuit court was correct. DMAS is a victim under the meaning of 301b because the plain meaning of victim encompasses DMAS. But is it different that the Commonwealth has legislatively, ordinarily would have no obligation to pay anything, but then it voluntarily enacts legislation to say, we'll do this. So isn't that a little different than a victim who is just helpless and subjected to some criminal predation? Aren't we talking about apples and oranges? I don't think so, Your Honor. I, I think that by its legal obligation to pay people in Mr. Hawks's position, DMAS is in fact helpless and subject to a loss because of Puckett's crime. DMAS cannot uh, shirk its legal obligation to cover people like Mr. Hawks, and so therefore DMAS, because it must pay for these medical expenses, is in a similarly helpful situation. Is, is it anyone who has any kind of, no matter how far down the chain, has any kind of impact or detriment, they're a victim? under this expansive definition. So you witnessed it from afar, now you have to go get counseling because you're having nightmares or whatever. You're a victim now, 
defendant must pay for the counseling. Where, where would we draw the line? I, I don't think that's the case, Your Honor, and I have two reasons for that. First, this, this provision of the statute is limited to medical expenses, and DMAS has a legal obligation that it, it can't avoid to pay medical expenses in certain circumstances, much like a private insurer who we think would be treated the same as DMAS. The second response to your question is that what the General Assembly intended to do with 305.1b is confer broad discretion on the trial court when, to order restitution. And that, this court's decision in Payton explains that the purposes of restitution are, quote, highly remedial, and restitution statutes are to be, quote, liberally construed. One significant constraint on to whom in the universe restitution may be paid and for what expenses is the sound discretion of the trial court, who must make various findings as part of sentencing and the award of restitution. Let me ask you a question, though. 19.2-305.1 does not require that the person receiving restitution necessarily be a victim, does it? That's correct, Mr. Chief Justice. It, it does not require that the person, the victim, be paid restitution. However, it does require that a victim incurring medical expenses is what triggers the requirement of restitution. But you wanted to say that DMAS is a victim. Whether they're a victim or not, they still could be entitled to restitution, right? Uh, I agree, Mr. Chief Justice. However, the trial court's finding in this particular case was that DMAS was a victim because it suffered a loss as a result of Puckett's crime in, in paying Hawks' medical expenses. And we think that decision of the circuit court is correct. That is not the only route that DMAS might have been awarded restitution in this case, but in this case, that is what the trial court did, and we believe it's correct. Well, if we disagree with DMAS being a victim, where does that leave you? That, that leads us to our alternative argument, Your Honor, in, in which if you assume that DMAS is not a victim, which again, we assert that they are, then indisputably Mr. Hawks is a victim of Puckett's crime, and Mr. Hawks incurred medical expenses. Those medical expenses were then paid by DMAS. Let, so, let me focus your attention on the Court of Appeals decision where in finding that DMAS is not a victim, they go on to say it was not established that these medical expenses were incurred by the victim of Puckett's malicious wounding. They say neither party briefed or argued whether a victim incurs a charge, et cetera, et cetera. So is that issue before us? Can we reach whether it was incurred? I believe so, Your Honor. I'll, I'll point out to the Court that the proceedings before the Court of Appeals was an appeal of the entire sentence imposed on Mr. Puckett, and the briefing covered the, the litany of, of challenges that he made to that sentence, this restitution point being only a small part of that challenge. I'll also note that the Court of Appeals addressed this issue and made findings as to what it believes, or, or holdings rather, as to what it believes the definition of incurred was. And then both parties before, the, before you today have briefed the issue, and neither party has asserted a waiver. So I think that this issue, especially on a de novo issue like this, is before the Court. That said, I, I do think that the Court of Appeals' definition of incur was incorrect. The Court of Appeals used a narrow definition of incur that applies in the Medi Medicaid spend-down provisions and rejected this Court's definition in Bowers. Bowers, however, is a much closer analog to this case. Bowers involved an interpretation of what incurred means with reference to medical expenses. And this Court, since the Court of Appeals' decision, has reaffirmed that decision or that interpretation of incurred in AV Automotive. Both of those decisions use a definition of incurred that, that hold that expenses incurred when an entity or person in, assumes a legal obligation to pay something. 
And in this case, Mr. Hawks incurred a medical expense because he had a legal obligation to pay it. DMAS then came and covered that medical expense, but Mr. Hawks, indisputably a victim, incurred the medical expense when he initially became legally obligated to pay it had DMAS not stepped in. Now, that, that is a much broader definition than the Court of Appeals used, but it is a more natural definition that comports with the general remedial purpose of restitution. I hate to make the point, but AV Automotive, of course, was not a 7-0 opinion, and there was a dissent. The word incurred has an elastic range, doesn't it? And if we're going to cherry-pick one episode of us applying incurred to this scenario and that scenario, I'm not sure where this is going to go, because the dictionary has several different ways of interpreting the, the directness or the indirectness of incurred. For example, your first remark was DMAS had a legal obligation. Forget DMAS. It's the Commonwealth of Virginia that's paying this money, right? Commonwealth volunteered to pay the money. The General Assembly got together and said, why don't we pay this money to victims of crime? I think that's great policy, but that's a volunteer. Would your argument still be the same if the grandmother of the victim paid the medical bills? Would the grandmother get the restitution, even though there was no legal obligation for the grandmother to pay? I suppose it depends, Your Honor. I agree that's a much closer case than this one. In this situation, DMAS does have a legal obligation. I agree that's a choice that the General Assembly made, but it's also a choice that the General Assembly made to draw this statute in a permissive way with the understanding that restitution statutes are to be interpreted broadly. I agree with Your Honor that the definition of incurred has a range of permissible interpretations, but given the canon of construction that we are faced, that we are given for remedial, I'm sorry, for restitution statutes, I think that the broader interpretation is the one that makes the most sense, particularly in light with the way that the General Assembly has drafted So correct me if I'm wrong, but in AV Automotive, it was a volunteer argument. The payment was by someone who was not herself or himself, can't remember, legally obligated, and yet it still fit within the incurred. But that was a situation where there was no by the victim. There was no prepositional phrase that qualified the word incurred, right? And that was actually the reason for the dispute on the court, is that it was just the word in, in the abstraction context. But here we have a qualification, incurred by the victim, which would obviously mean if the victim of crime had to pay the medical expense, of course. It may arguably mean if the victim had some contractual payment made to someone like an insurance company, the insurance company pays it. But the question now is, what if a volunteer pays it? Either the grandmother or the Commonwealth of Virginia volunteers to pay it. I'm, I'm not, I'll caveat, Your Honor, that this court need, need not rely on AV Automotive in, in that heavy of a way because the Bowers decision or even the earlier State Farm decision interpret incur in a medical expense context. I believe State Farm is medical expense context. I might be wrong there. But Bowers certainly is in a broader way that comports with this. So the volunteer situation is not necessarily before this court. In this situation, DMAS is not in the same sense as an AV Automotive, a volunteer. And then again, Your Honor, I'll point to the canon of construction that we have for these particular statutes. AV Automotive involved a sanctions motion and attorney's fees, which is not given the same presumption that a remedial statute awarding restitution is. So I understand Your Honor's concern with, with placing that kind of weight on AV Automotive, but I, don't, I, I just don't think it's necessary here. And your backup argument goes directly to Justice Kelsey's question, which is this defendant, even though he didn't in the end have to pay it because he probably didn't have the means, but 
he did benefit from this medical care, and at least notionally, he was on the hook to pay it. That's right, Your Honor. He, in the absence of DMAS, he would have been on the hook to pay it. And so the award, essentially what the, this interpretation of the restitution statute means is that Mr. Puckett is, is, is held to the cost of his crime, regardless of who ultimately pays the medical expense. His, the, him having to account for the full cost of his crime, or the cost of his crime, uh, is the same, irrespective of whether a private insurer pays, a state insurer pays, or Mr. Hawks himself pays. And that is the reason for the interpretive canon that I've been discussing about the remedial nature of restitution statutes, is to have the person convicted of the crime pay for the costs of their crime. If there are no further questions, I'd like to reserve the remainder for rebuttal. All right. Thank, Thank you, you, counsel. You have three minutes and nine seconds. This podcast is brought to you by Ben Glass Law, a national leader in long-term disability insurance claims. We help doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and other C-suite executives get paid for their long-term disability benefits. Visit us at benglasslaw.com or give us a call at 703-591-9829. Good morning. May it please the Court. Jason Eisner from Danville on behalf of Mr. Puckett. I have been specifically requested to pass the regards of Leah Haskins to the Chief Justice, or at least by her mother, it would be at her daughter or mother, regards been conveyed. So, Thank you very much. Uh, with respect to the issue before us today, it really is a straightforward issue. I didn't come up much in argument, but how many times in the briefs uh, for the Commonwealth have we seen that we're not supposed to add language to a statute, we're not supposed to give the words of a statute uh, improper meaning, which is basically the exact opposite in our position what they're asking the court to do today. Um, we can begin just by looking at the statute on its face and examining it in isolation. We don't end there, but we certainly begin there, saying that it does require restitution for medical expenses to be paid to the victim or the victim's estate. So again, we have a stabbing case. Under the I'm sorry, yes. what requires is restitution to be paid to a victim? Under Section 19.2-305.1, so we're looking at the trial court shall order restitution of any medical expenses incurred by the victim or by the victim's estate. But so, it doesn't say who it's paid to, does it? It doesn't appear to, Your Honor. It would say that it, it's supposed to be incurred by the victim. Right, but it's incurred, but it doesn't say who, is, who the restitution is paid to. And Your Honor, what it has to be incurred by. One of the biggest issues, too, in terms of going over the background case law in this case, too, and I'm not aware of any case law in which you have a situation where you have Party A that has some sort of cost as a result of a crime or a tort, but Party B paid for it, so therefore restitution or cost should be awarded to Party B. It comes down to Party A. So we look at, for example, in AV Automotive, I probably can't pronounce the other name there, but in that case, of course, you had attorney's fees, and it's different from restitution, but again, Party B paid for the attorney's fees, so they still go to the person who, as the court found, incurred the attorney's fees. So well, why wouldn't the court have the inherent authority to have the rest of pay, restitution paid to whoever they want to have it paid to, they, whoever they think deserves to, be, to receive the restitution? Well, why is there a restriction on that? Your Honor, I would submit, again, that would be, it would be adding language to the statute, though. The statute does say incurred by the victim. I agree with you on that. So, and, and we're playing loosely, and I think there's, there's got to be a point where we have to make a common-sense determination as far as what the language of statute authorizes and what the General Assembly intended here. And if we, go, if we step out, we zoom out a bit from this specific statute and look at the entire restitution statutory scheme. You've got Section 19.2-303, you've got Section 19.2-305, and they use the term aggrieved parties. We have aggrieved party in one statute or two statutes, and we have victim in the statute before this court today. And under those circumstances, what we see is the General Assembly has recognized that there exists a class of persons and or entities that can be affected by crime, but they're not a victim. 
but we should recognize their standing as having been affected by the crime and recognize that the trial court should have some degree of, of ability to order the restitution to be paid to an aggrieved party. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but going back to AV Automotive, one of the, one of the fulcrum points was there was a legal liability to pay, right? So here, the legal liability is the victim having to pay if someone else doesn't pay at the medical bills. I don't know. It, that's what the court said. That's what incurred means. And that's not an absurd interpretation. It wasn't fully agreed to, but it was a reasonable one and a legitimate one. Why isn't it enough? Why isn't it as simple as that? Well, Whether I agree with it or not, why isn't it as simple as that? Your Honor, if we're talking about the definition of incur, and there's different meanings, but the court basically has to change its definition from Bowers. We're dealing with this court's previously assigned definition in which he either paid the expenses or became legally obligated to pay the expenses. We do not concede that Mr. Hawks incurred the expenses. Certainly, well, the paid the expense or became legally obligated to pay the expense. Correct. So the victim was legally obligated to pay the expenses. The victim didn't. We know the victim did not pay the expenses here, but our position is, when we look at the regulations, Virginia Administrative Code signed by the Court of Appeals, which basically lays out the obligations under DMAS under the circumstances. So it becomes a question as far as does the medical provider seek to collect from Mr. Hawks before it seeks to collect from DMAS, so which was not presented to the trial court. But that would be our position if they come after him saying, obviously okay. obviously a legal liability, whatever the government does or doesn't do. If you go to a doctor and a doctor, there's going to be an implied in law contract and implied in fact contract, and you're going to have to pay something reasonable. It's if reasonable. someone doesn't bail you out. Yeah. And we're talking about potential voluntary visit to the doctor as well. Does it change? I'd submit that Mr. Hawks, of course, had sustained some injuries. He'd been brought to the hospital for treatment. And again, we're getting to a practical standpoint. This is all material not presented to the trial court, but the hospital determines who your provider is, who your third-party payer is. And so if it turns out it's DMAS under the Virginia Administrative Code, they go to DMAS for the money. We would not concede that Mr. Hawks met either definition of incurring. But even our position is still, if he did meet that definition, again, we're still looking under the AV auto type of, of situation. If, if the court does find that Mr. Hawks incurred these medical expenses, it does not authorize that the trial or require the trial court of Section 19.2-305.1 to award the restitution to the payer, to the party that paid the expense Mr. Hawks occurred. And thankfully, the question is not before sorry, as far as... I apologize for interrupting again, but the chief just asked you a great question. It, the statute doesn't say to whom you make the payment. It just says who incurred the expense, right? Am I, did I misread something? So, person commits, excuse me, shall make at least partial restitution for any property damage or loss caused by the crime or for any medical expenses incurred by the victim of the estate as a result of the crime. The statute is silent on that, but again, our position is the fact that it's silent doesn't mean it can be interpreted to say that we can just award um, restitution to basically any individuals involved, particularly when we've seen the rest of the statutory context and the General Assembly has recognized this other class of individuals. And unfortunately, I think we all know what's going to happen if this Court appeals the, or affirms the decision of the Court of Appeals, but the rest of the statutory scheme does indeed exist and does specifically say we can consider an aggrieved party, we can consider somebody a person or Andy or have you that so has you, you, do I understand you to be arguing that under B it says shell for medical expenses. So if you're the victim, the court's discretion is limited. It would otherwise be broader, but in this specific context there's medical expenses, you're the victim, you incurred them, you gotta make at least partial restitution. If you're not the victim, but you suffered some detriment as a result of the crime, maybe the wife had to take time off and lost some wages, something like that, then the court has much broader discretion 
and can do it or not do it, as opposed to here where the court has to do it. Is that your argument? In other words, a court could have said, DMS, you're not really a victim, but I think you ought to pay for what you did because they taxpayers were on the hook for that, as opposed to I am required to do this under B. Is that the argument? Correct. That's the statute the trial court specifically invoked. And so it does say it has to be restitution for uh, medical expenses incurred by the victim. So our position is just being that the fact that statute doesn't say to whom it can go, our position would be it's not to say we can award restitution for expenses incurred by the victim, given that, again, we're not conceding the victim incurred the expenses here, but saying, oh, it can go to anybody else. There are different portions of the statute, of course, saying it can go to the criminal injuries compensation fund and the like. So the General Assembly is capable of putting the language in the statute that believes appropriate. It's capable of saying we'll recognize individuals that aren't victims but have paid the cost for victims. We'll recognize aggrieved parties. Going down a slippery slope here, but certainly the fact that a spouse or partner might miss work, even the hypothetical about an individual needing counseling, of course, that's pretty far out there. But again, the General Assembly could say that if they wanted to, but they've chosen not to do so in Section 305.1. That's where we are at this point. There's also an issue as far as came up as far as whether victim or a grief party is synonymous. Again, mass can be a victim itself. Of course, familiar with the we mispronounced the Brieschi case on which the in which embezzlement occurred from DMAS itself. So it basically acknowledges that DMAS can be a victim. DMAS can be an aggrieved party. In a stabbing case, uh, DMAS cannot be the victim of a stabbing. I submit that under circumstances, it's to be uh, determined as far as whether DMAS stands as a victim or as an aggrieved party. It's not a victim. The statute invoked here requires restitution be paid to the victim. And again, even though we might look in the dictionary and find uh, similar or even identical definitions for victim versus aggrieved party, we have to look at what the General Assembly did, and we have to presume that they use different words in different statutes, so they have different meanings on the same statutory scheme. So given that we're under a circumstance where the uh, expenses are, if the court finds they were incurred by Mr. Hawks, then under circumstances he is the victim. He's the victim whether he incurred expenses or not. Uh, but there's no restitution award to him. The trial court never did that. This statute just simply does not authorize restitution to be uh, ordered to another party. If the court has no further questions, I'd just uh, wrap up by this point saying that if we're to properly interpret jurisprudence regarding statutory interpretation, a pretty straightforward rule will come up saying the harder we try to contort to assign a meaning to uh, what the General Assembly has done, probably the farther into foul territory we're going. And the fact that we're here trying to say that Department of Medical Assistance Services can be a victim of a stabbing, the fact that we're trying to talk about what incur means, even though there might be other definitions for it, and saying that if a party A incurs something that should go to party B, I think that's a pretty clear sign we've contorted pretty far, and there's got to be a boundary. Let me interrupt so. again, but assume for the sake of argument that hypothetically DMAS is not a victim under any scenario, right? Just assume that. And assume that, I think this is right, we've established it, the statute doesn't actually have a provision that says you've got to pay to this person, to the victim. And assume that third, and it's a third assumption, the word incurred under AV Automotive includes incurring both the act, but incurring means you paid it in fact, or you incurred a legal liability that could be enforced, that could force you to pay it. Would those, if those three, I'm not asking you to concede any of the three, I promise you, but if those three premises were true, wouldn't the right answer be that they win? I'm trying to make sure I understand this properly. They're not a victim. DMAS is not a victim. Assume for the sake of argument that's just a a bridge too far linguistically. Two, the the statute doesn't say who the payee is. You've got to pay the victim. You've got to pay the DMAS. You've got to pay the insurance company. It just says it's got to be paid. 
And three, the word incurred means if you've incurred a legal liability for the expense that is the subject of restitution, in addition to you actually paid it out of pocket. Okay, certainly had Mr. Hawks incurred the expense himself. He paid everything out of pocket. We're in a very different situation. Assuming, of course, the trial court ordered restitution to Justin Hawks. And then, of course, if there was some sort of split and Justin Hawks did incur something, he had to pay a copay or deductible or a portion, what have you. Again, there's no evidence of that. Had there been, he's the victim. And I would submit that for medical expenses incurred by the victim, for an absence in the statute as far as saying who it can go to. So the victim incurred medical expenses, you just give the money to anybody. That's That'd be a very difficult interpretation that's going to have to be reined in at some point. But uh, I mean, be. even if that were true, how does that prejudice the, the, the person who was convicted of the crime? What, what difference does it make to him who he's got to pay the money to if he's got to pay restitution that was incurred by the victim? Your Honor, whatever effect it has on um, our position is just the statute doesn't authorize the court to make that award. That, that would be our position at this but why, point. Why would you take that discretion from the trial court then if it doesn't? if it doesn't disadvantage the criminal defendant? Your Honor, our position is trial court doesn't have that discretion. That's what the statute says. And if we are to talk about that the restitution could be ordered to Party B for expenses hypothetically incurred by Party A, that would be language added to the statute. The General Assembly could have done so if they wanted to. There's several provisions in the restitution statutes about who can receive restitution, who it can be awarded to, what kinds of parties can be harmed by crime, and, you know, including some are victims and some are not. All that language could have been there. But we are contorting, I think, way too hard to add that kind of meaning to the statute as far as authorizing restitution to somebody other than the victim under any circumstance. Our position certainly is the Court of Appeals properly handled the matter. We ask the Court to affirm. Counsel, you have three minutes and nine seconds. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. I want to make a brief point about the statutory structure here. First, what we're dealing with here in 305.1 is the mandatory restitution statute. What it does is require the court to award restitution in certain circumstances and then grants broad discretion as to how and in how much it awards restitution. Section 305 deals with situations in which restitution is awarded on, as a condition of probation, Right. So you, when the person is going to be released on probation, this is the restitution that they must pay as part of that portion of the sentence. And three deals with restitution that is awarded as part of a suspended sentence. In this particular situation, there is a suspended sentence that was imposed on as part of Mr. Puckett's sentence, but that's not necessarily true in every case. We could have a case in which the court, as this one did, wants to award restitution as part of the sentence, the main sentence imposed on Mr. Puckett, and has a medical expense and wants to do so here. Here, what the General Assembly did, my friend on the other side is correct, that the General Assembly could have added whatever qualifying language it pleased. What it was equally able to do, and what it did here, was write a statute that broadly accomplished the remedial goals of restitution by writing a statute that included both an expansive definition of victim and uh, permitted an expansive definition of the term incurred. If this court has no further questions, the Commonwealth asks. The proceeding has been a production of Ben Glass Law, a Fairfax, Virginia-based personal injury and long-term disability law firm. For a free evaluation of your claim, visit us at benglasslaw.com or call us at 703-591-9829.